Welcome to the Elijah Fire Podcast, where we jump into issues of today with faith and freedom instead of fear. And now here's your host, Jeff Tharp. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Elijah Fire, episode 321. Today is Friday, October 13th, 2023. Um, I'm really looking forward to this episode. I know that we have some Israelis that watch this show. I'm looking at you, Anushka. Um, and I think this is going to be a really encouraging a very informative episode, um, especially because there's a lot of counter things. What we're going to be talking about today, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of sw- spinning and swaying information in favor of of one side over the other. And I think this is going to bring a lot of clarity to people, including myself. So I'm really looking forward to it. If you guys are listening on Spotify, make sure to follow the Elijah Fire podcast over there. Give us an honest review, all that good stuff that really helps us out. And you guys have been delivering. You've been showing up given the honest reviews, very kind, generous reviews. So we thank you guys for that. Also, if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere else where you listen to podcasts, make sure to follow us if you can, if it if that's available, and also rate us over there as well. So um, speaking of wells, what a segue. Um, anytime you guys donate to ElijahStreams.com slash donate, that makes sure that we can keep Elijah Fire afloat five days a week. It's a lot of content, a lot of moving parts behind the scenes. Um, and you guys, uh, I've been super generous, uh, but we don't stop there. Obviously, we uh, take some of every donation and we put it into our water well efforts in Uganda, Ethiopia, Nepal, and beyond. And there's been so much expansion this year in 2023 because of your guys' generosity. And I know that myself, Steve, Illumination, everybody else, we're just so grateful not only that you guys believe in this ministry but also that um you know so many people are being impacted by uh, fulfilling a basic need like fresh clean water so we actually just got a couple of new a couple of new update videos uh so i get to choose one at random so i'm gonna go ahead and play one and we're gonna get going in the midst of rose and her friend kamiati's joyous celebration of the drilling of a new water well a painful memory from Rose's past comes to mind. Both Justine, Rose's daughter, and Amina, Kamiyati's daughter, would routinely get up early in the morning in order to make the trek to the closest water source. As the girls were collecting water one morning, Justine ventured too far into the deeper water and tragically drowned. It's been seven years since Justine's untimely passing. There hasn't been any other options for water but that's all changing. The prayers of Rose and her friends for a pure, clean water source have been answered and they are overwhelmed by God's goodness. This new water well is the result of the generosity shown by you, our Elijah Streams partners. The difficult journey to the polluted water source for Rose and her neighbors is almost at an end. And it's because of you. Donate online at ElijahStreams.com slash donate. Or mail a check today to Elijah Streams, 525 2nd Avenue Southwest, Suite 629, Albany, Oregon, 97321. So again, we thank you guys so much for your generosity. Um, okay, so we're going to jump in. Um, my guest today, one of them you know, uh, he's the COO of Restore 7. And as many may recall, he has spent um, you know, a good chunk of time living in Israel. He has a huge heart for that nation. But he also knows a lot of the historical context, um, and we're going to be getting into some of that and also some other stuff as well. My other guest, 
Um, we got introduced to him through Chris. He's a Jerusalem-based performer, composer, and musicologist. He's also currently attending UCLA. Um, and his name is Yaron Cherniak. Um, and so let's give it up for Chris and Yaron. Welcome, you guys. Welcome. Hey. Hey, hey right. guys. So, Yaron, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Obviously, gave just a little bit of information, but why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, as you mentioned, my name is Yaron Cherniak. I'm a composer and songwriter. I'm here for my PhD studies in UCLA, so being far away from Israel is actually very painful during these days. Imagine. It's almost uh, a week since the, the massacre happened uh, around Gaza in the different kibbutzim, different villages and cities in Israel. So you can imagine just nights with no sleep, um, just a very strange feeling that a lot is happening in Israel right now. And also the the time zone that is so different, you know, mm -hmm. it keeps you alert all the time because yeah. one, once I wake up, I get all these messages and updates of what is going on in Israel and it's just overwhelming and so mm -hmm. sad. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah. Um, and your, your family, uh, Yoron, is, is in Sterot, right? Most of them primarily? So my family, they live in a city called Kiryat Gat, which is 30 minutes away from Gaza. So last saturday they just they they were in the in the bomb shelter for hours for the whole day as i was talking with my grandmother she was i i could hear the alarms going off and i was wow. like you can imagine your grandmother just being in bomb shelter with no protection is just yeah. well you had to have felt pretty pretty helpless i mean you're over here in the states just watching this stuff happen and especially in regards to your family too. It's got to be hard. It is hard. And I think uh, Israelis around the world, the one that go back to Israel and join the IDF or do all kind of humanitarian work, or Israelis, they stay outside Israel because of different reasons. They try to do their best to do something. Anything you can do in this state, in this uh, state we are at, is blessed, you know, bringing bring up the awareness of the situation, yeah. fighting against anti-Semitism, fighting against all this propaganda led by different terrorist groups is very, very important. So using our social media, sharing content, sharing evidence from what happened in those villages is so crucial to the time we are at because as we are talking, the Israeli army is still in the process of um, basically fighting different centers of Hamas, different terrorist um, uh, operational centers in Gaza. So as we go uh, deeper into this operation led by the Israeli army, people will see more videos of different areas mm -hmm. of Gaza being bombed and they, they, will, they will be um, manipulated by the propaganda um, that Hamas is leading showing only the bombing of Gaza and the bombing of different places in, in Gaza as if Israel initiated initiated and started this whole thing. Right. And people will forget that what happened on the seven on seven October October seventh, sorry, was just inhuman, brutal mm -hmm. and so tragic. We are all broken. Yeah. Everyone we, we just we had like a circle of Israelis here in LA. Mm -hmm. 
meeting up just to comfort to to bring comfort to each other hug each other because we couldn't sleep for yeah. nights yeah yeah and i think the thing that i've noticed within the media um is you know people call this the is israel's version of 9/11 and i think it's worse because if you adjust for population it would be like the equivalent of cuz we lost 3000 Americans in in the uh, 9/11 attacks mm. but in this case if we were to adjust it to compare to the US population you're dealing with like 36,000 plus yeah. yeah it's pretty catastrophic what happened yeah. and then that doesn't take into consideration you know it, it's in some ways it's almost better to die than to be kidnapped by Hamas right you know mm. you know and so there is no what what will happen on that front you know and we're praying that god intervenes there in a miraculous way so i'm not trying to speak anything but right you know if we talk about like what typically happens in kidnapping yeah. with hamas it would be better to have died um yeah than to have been kidnapped at this point right. you know yeah and that's what makes oh. it so, so hard yeah yeah maybe i'll share just an anecdote from uh one of my classmates uh yeah i i talked with him about the situation i was like you probably heard about what is going on in Israel. It was like, yes, and it's so troubling and so bad. And I don't know, he told me, I don't know what is your take on uh, Palestinian people, if you think they you should have, like, they should have a state and Israel should have a state. I'm like, you know, maybe 80% of the Israeli population believe that in state two-state solution because demographically, it's very problematic to have everyone in one state. Uh, yeah. But yeah. you can't mix terror groups that fighting against Israel out of anti-Semitic anti uh, worldview yeah. um, with the Palestinian people. Hamas doesn't represent the Palestinian people. Yeah, that's a good point. And he was shocked. He didn't know that. And he, he claimed that, I mean, he said he's, he's a Christian, he's a believer. And he didn't know that Hamas is not an activistic group that's fighting for human rights. <laughs> and I think maybe to contextualize it, maybe we can read something from their charter. Yeah, so this is the Hamas charter, everybody. Yeah, just, like official statement, like yeah. for why they, why they exist. There are many points in their charter saying, stating that they are fighting and in for killing Jews, not it's not about only Zionism or the state of Israel as a modern thing. It's killing Jews, basically, so which is equal anti-Semitism. It's just purely anti-Semitism. So let's read it. The day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight Jews and kill them, just like that, yeah? Mm -hmm. Then the Jews will hide behind rocks and trees, and the rocks and trees will cry out, Oh, Muslim, there is a Jew hiding behind me. Come and kill him. That's part of the Hamas charter. This mm. is not a human rights uh, agenda. When, whenever they enter these villages and slaughtered families in their living rooms, burning babies, and yeah. I mean, killing old people hiding in their shelters. How, yeah. can, how, how people can mix that with human rights? It's just right. unclear. Yeah. 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 And I think the thing you were talking we were talking about backstage is saying yes Hamas wants to kill Jews but they also want to see the, the downfall of western civilization um and so 
the people cheering on Hamas right now in the States, if they were to succeed, I don't, I don't think they will. Um, but if they were to succeed, you would be next. And I think that that's a really important thing to, to note is it's not, it's just pure hatred is what it is. You know, it's not, they're not freedom fighters, you know, and there's a lot of stuff that's being hidden in certain, a large majority of the media, I would say here in the States, there's a lot of information that's being hidden about what Hamas does. They take the rockets, they put them in schools, they put them in people's homes all kinds of stuff. And I think the other thing to note is that a lot of the problems that, that Gaza is experiencing right now, like no water, no electricity are things that Hamas did to them, um, you know, did to their own people. And, and then now they're, you know, I'm seeing actually, I saw an article today, this morning of MSNBC saying, Oh, Gaza doesn't have any water and, and they're being bombed by Israel. I'm like, Hamas did that to them, you know? And I think that that's the other important detail to note is people, they don't want people to know that. And I think it's, I think it's something else that's important too. I mean, Hamas exists for jihad, which doesn't just exist in Gaza. I mean, that's something that's happening in Syria. Um, You know, something that would be interesting to touch on today is, is more than likely how Israel's Northern border will open up um, to start fighting Hezbollah. And so Hezbollah is, is outside of, you know, Syria and Lebanon, essentially, they're definitely backed by Iran. I spoke with a good Israeli friend of mine yesterday who was saying that Israel's hoping actually that they open up this front with Hezbollah, even though it seems like it would be difficult to fight in two places. This is what their hope is because they Israel has been living. It's like living with a neighbor who has a knife on your throat at all times, you know? And so they have, you know, they're hoping that there's enough international sympathy right now that they can go in and they can root out Hamas and Hezbollah um, because they both stand for global jihad, you know, and that's exactly like it starts with the Jews. But you guys are exactly right. They want it. They want it to go west as well. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, Chris, um, before we get into other things, because, you know, I actually really want to talk about like in the tail end of the show and talk about your music and because you're sharing some stuff backstage. Um, in regards to your heart for Arabs and, and all of that, which I think is really important. And it's actually a, a powerful testament to, I think, a lot of Israelis' heart towards just unity and, and stuff like that. But Chris, why don't you jump into explaining some of the historical context of what, why there's so much conflict here, why there's so much, yeah. so, so much tension? Well, you know, I think that we could kind of take this you know, almost systematically, like taking going from 1948 till now, which is which is kind of interesting to do that. Or we could just go from, you know, kind of looking at some of the statements that, you know, you always hear that Israel has stolen land from the Palestinians or Israel is an apartheid state or, you know, Israel doesn't exist outside of Western imperialism. All of these kind of ideas, at least this is what we talk about in the West, to try to delegitimize the state of Israel. So I'm not sure if it would be better for us to kind of take a look at some of the three or four major conflicts and how this state of Israel was established so that we can just kind of debunk those myths or if you want to take on those myths like one-on-one. Yeah, so, why don't you just, I mean, you can do it the the first way you suggested, just list them and then if we want to okay. break them down, we can break them down. <clears throat> yeah, well, what's interesting is that this, the state of Israel was established in 1948. Um, you know, this was, and what's really interesting about this is I forget if it's in Jeremiah or Isaiah where uh, the, the statement is asked, can a nation be created in a day? Um, and this was a prophetic you know, declaration of Israel, the future, the future restoration of physical Israel. Um, you know, the state of Israel was established in one day, 1948, 
um, when Ben Gorion, you know, basically came and and this had been something that had been going on for for a while, essentially. Um, after World War II, the Jewish people made a claim on the land of Israel. The problem was is that you know it was under British rule at the time. There was something called the Mandate for Palestine. So you know one of the one of the claims that you have to deal with when talking about this, and I and I say this not as a you know not to disparage the Palestinians, but but as a like a factual statement because we're talking about nations now. The nation of Palestine has never existed as a sovereign nation, and that's mm. really important to understand. Yeah. Um, because at no point was there a sovereign nation of Palestine that Israel took land from or Israel became a part of. When Israel, when the state of Israel was established in 1948, it was under the control of the League of Nations, the UN, um, essentially at that, you know, at that time. And so they basically went to the League of Nations and they said, hey, we would like to make a claim for land in Palestine because World War II had just happened. We want a state. We want a nation for the Jewish people. And this was agreed upon. So this was agreed upon by like the governing body. You know, this all came out of the British mandate. There's a whole history here of how the land of Israel went from the Romans to the Persians, to the Egyptians, to the Ottomans, to the um, to the British. And then finally it, it came back into the hands of Israel. And so this was not just land that was given to Israel. There was there was two sects of land that was created at this time. OK, there was land for the Jewish people and then there was land for the for the Palestinians. And this is really how the two-state solution was started. In 1948, the Jewish people agreed to recognize Palestine, Palestinians as having that land that this, this mandate set out for both people. Mm. Um, and this is really important to understand. So this was not like the Jewish people going in and taking land from Palestine. It was not, it was not a sovereign nation of Palestine at the time. I'm going to keep repeating that because <laughs> I feel like this is a major thing that people miss, you know? Um, and so it's a really significant thing. So, the state of Israel, the new state of Israel, accepted this land, um, while the Palestinians completely rejected this um, and immediately were attacked by their five surrounding neighbors. This is the battle, battle for Israel. I mean, basically 1948. Their whole battle for independence is really an amazing story. Um, so they were immediately attacked by Egypt, Syria, Jordan, um, Lebanon, and uh, it was it was a very it's a very miraculous victory that Israel had. You know, something yeah. else that I want to point out with each one of these wars, I find this personally so fascinating when I'm talking to someone who's like not sure how to think about these conflicts. Um, if if people are not familiar, there is a basically a warfare group in America called West Point. It is our premier like research center for how we research past battles to understand and try to create our own strategy for how to fight. And all of the major conflicts of Israel West Point has refused to try to incorporate any of the strategies that were used in these wars because they were so improbable that they would come out as Israel as the victor. In every case, they said Israel not, not only should have not won this, they should have been so defeated that it's not even like on our yeah. radar. So they, they refused to use the wars as a like any kind of strategy because, you know, they didn't quite say this word. They, they used the word. It is so highly improbable. I'm going to say it's such a miracle, it is a miracle. That, that happened. It's it's not repeatable. Yeah. It's not repeatable. Okay. And so that would not just happen one time. It's happened in every single conflict. Yeah. Like, like, so, like only God could have done it kind of. That's right. That's right. I mean, they'll never say that, but that's essentially what they're saying when they right. refuse to study the wars of Israel as future strategy. That's, that's essentially, and this is not like a believing group. They're recognizing not just 1948, also 1967, 1973, 
All of the major conflicts in Israel are completely useless to study as military strategy because the improbability is so low that this would ever take place. Mm. So, you know, essentially, like when this happened, there was a huge displacement when this 1948 happened. There was a huge displacement of both Jews and Palestinians. Thanks for listening. The Elijah Fire podcast is made possible by donations like yours. To become a partner, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. And and you can't get around this. I mean, it it was a war. (laughs) <laughs> you know, yeah. and so this is just what it is. And it's not, amazing. Not only, it not only just to add uh, to that, Chris, uh, it's not only a war. It's like a very young uh, Israeli army. Yes. With very, with a huge lack of uh, equipment, gear. Resources. Resources yeah. fighting against five different armies. Iraq, yeah. Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, and the Palestinians within Israel. That had very capable militaries of their own for the most part you know and so another misconception is where people will say well if america didn't help israel then they wouldn't have won that we didn't help israel in 1948 we were not actually a part of that at all we we didn't give them weapons we didn't give them planes we didn't give them tanks they were i mean the story on just that issue alone is is crazy i mean they're flying these like beater planes that like didn't work i mean it's really it's crazy somehow taking out the entire like you know and then, and then you talk to the pilots that were flying these and they were like, they talk about being surrounded by like angels, essentially. I mean, it's crazy. Like yeah. the miracles that these, the guys will give testimony to. Yeah. So this idea that Israel was like an American idea, that it's American colonialism, it's all false. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and so we could, we could, get, we could talk about each one of these conflicts in detail, but I'm going to go to the next one. So the next major conflict was in, was in 1967. And this is probably this is the this is the one where Israel was able to take the most land from the Palestinians. Not take, but during this conflict, again, this was another unprovoked attack. Um, you know, it's a really it is a really big deal because of again, you know, this was this was with Syria, Egypt, and Jordan. Um, all of a sudden, basically, armies were amassed on all the borders of these three of these three nations. Um, and Israel made the decision to preemptively to attack specifically Egypt's airport. This is an amazing story. They flew in the morning before the uh, the Egyptian uh, pilots were going to take off, and they bombed the entire um, the entire uh, runways and planes while they were still on the ground. So not only did they not even kill any Egyptians, they just took out their entire air force in one morning. Didn't weren't picked up on radar, weren't picked up on intelligence. No one understands how they were able to get in and able to do this. Um, but Israel annihilated the entire Egyptian air force and it was just one continual route after route. And like Iran said, they're also fighting the Palestinians inside of Israel and inside of, of the West bank. And so they, what's, what's amazing about this is this is when they took Sinai, they took Gaza, they took the Golan Heights. Um, they took Jerusalem, they took the West, many parts of the West bank. And so this was a really big conflict that a lot of is a lot of the, a lot of the land that was taken at that time was very significant land. Um, and it's a, it's a big deal. Yeah. This is called the six day war. It was a strategic uh, act. Obviously the reason for that was because the war was continuous from all these surrounding neighbors countries. So taking Sinai was not like a goal for the Israel state, but it was, it happened because of the war initiated by those, these uh, Muslim countries. Yeah. And, and that's good. And so, you know, I think another thing that's worth saying is that all of these wars could have been, um, they would have never happened if the Palestinians would have just recognized that Israel had a right to exist. 
from the treaties that were made in 1948. These were never started by Israel. These were never, this all comes out of the fact that the Arab nations and the Palestinians refuse to accept that Israel has any national sovereignty in this location. So every conflict that we talk about is because of that one reason. And that's really important. Yeah. But I mean, history backs up. It's not just this thing that's in the Bible. Like history actually backs up that Israel was a nation in that area. You know, of course. Yeah. I mean, you can go back 3,000 years. I mean, you, all the artifacts, all of the archaeology, mm-hmm. everything you dig up. I mean, it, it, it's it's undeniable that the Jewish presence has been there forever, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, but you know, what's so weird about this? Okay. So after they took all of this land, um, there was something that came out called Resolution 242. And this is where we get the idea of land for peace. So this was essentially a UN agreement that was presented to Israel and said, we want you to return all of the land that you just took in the 1967 conflict. Um, That'd be like Golan Heights and, and yes, the Golan Heights. And that's actually one thing that they did not give up. They didn't give up the Golan Heights and they didn't give up uh, Jerusalem, but everything else, the Sinai, the Gaza, the West bank, um, all of that stuff they gave back to the Palestinians in return for the Palestinians recognizing that Israel had a right to exist. So that was essentially all that Israel asked for. Which is crazy because in any other international conflict, if a, if a victor, if a person is attacked and they take land from the person that attacked them, that land belongs to the person who took it. Like that's an international, like no, that's that's a that's a normal international like reality of war when this happens. Yeah. So every Israel, not, every country in the world pretty much has, would do that. Would do yeah. that. Yes. And Israel gave the land back in exchange for the idea that they might have peace. So this is where we get the land for peace ideal. It was something called Resolution 242 that happened right after the 1967 war. So Chris, really, really important. So Palestinian, they actually agreed to these terms when they're like, yeah, okay, we'll recognize you as a nation. And they got West Bank back. They got the Sinai Peninsula. They got yes. Gaza back, correct? Yes. And that was the whole idea. That was the whole Resolution 242. That's where the whole term "land for peace" came from. Hmm. Um, it's very, maybe it's very important also to mention that uh, obviously it was a gradual process, and yes. uh, one of the last steps of this process was to take thousands of Israelis out of Gaza. We had a lot of families, and actually a lot of agriculture uh, happening in the Gaza Strip. Uh, I think it was before two thousand and nine, uh, but maybe Chris, you can correct me. Um, and and during Sharon Ariel Sharon, when Ariel Sharon was the prime minister, they decided to do uh, to send out all these Israeli families with their businesses and everything that they established there out of Gaza with the idea that if we will do that, Hamas will stop slaughtering and killing people mm-hmm. and send rockets over Israel. And guess what happened? We went out and nothing changed, even worse. Yeah. It's, well, it's, all that agriculture is gone now, isn't it? Or oh yeah, largely, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah, it's it's horrible what's happening in Gaza for sure. But you know, I mean, it it's it it repeats itself over and over that land for peace, um, it doesn't work. It doesn't work, you know. And so, the next major conflict that Israel has was 1973. That's called the Yom Kippur War, um, and that was a very significant war as well. I'm not going to go into as much detail there. I'm bringing that up, though, to specifically say that what happened this last weekend was on the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War in 1973. So this is why this happened over this last weekend. Hmm. Um, It also happened at the end of Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, the like a high holiday in Israel. 
and a Sabbath. So there was, everyone was resting. And this is, this is another thing that you see happen all the time is that the Arab nations will often attack on, you know, a Passover, a Sabbath, sometime when the Jews will not be like in place, if you will. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, there, there have been a lot of things that have happened since 1973. There was the first and second Antifa, uh, Antifa, which was a lot of more like guerrilla warfare in Jerusalem. That's when you were reading about the suicide bombings happening on the buses and all sorts of the attacks that were happening in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Um, it is very, 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 very hard time for Israel. And that's actually, you know, one of the things you see all the time is like, well, you see, you'll get shown photos of that big border wall. And people will say, look, Israel is an apartheid state. Look at that wall. Look at those checkpoints. This this only happened after the the second Antifa. Antifa. Like it was it was in response to trying to create space between the Palestinian uh, territories and Israel because the suicide bombings had gotten so bad. Israel was trying to find some way to mitigate um, what kept happening. So even that wall that you see was in response to Palestinian terrorism inside of Jerusalem and around Israel. Um, and so that's a really important thing to understand when you see those pictures of the wall. That was not that was not there before. I think what was it? You know, in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, mm. when they started building that. Yeah, yeah, the separation wall. And so it's a it's a really really big you know it's another thing that you hear about all the time. And I want to just say one other thing, and then we can kind of move on from this. Mm-hmm. One of the accusations that you hear all the time is that Israel is a an apartheid state. This is a very, very common thing. It, it yeah. fits with the language of BLM in America. Oh yeah. It fits with the social justice vernacular. It's it's used everywhere. Um, but mm-hmm. you know, only in Israel, people don't really realize this. But you know, there's nine million Israeli Israelis in this in the state of Israel. And is it one point eight or two million Iran that are Israel that are actually Arab? Yeah. Two million, something Israel. like that. In Israel. Yeah. So they're they're Israeli Arab citizens. They can they can be in they can be in parliament. They can work in government. They can be lawyers, doctors, health. They get access to everything. I'm not saying it's perfect all the time, but there's two million Arabs that live inside of Israel that are considered Israeli citizens. In 1948, every single Jewish person that was living in any of the Arab territories, all around like the Middle East, you know, and there's something like 450 million Arabs, um, and in tons of Arab nations. They were basically all expelled at that time. So there are not like, and Yoran, what is your family's background? Where are you guys from originally? Uh, well, my father from Moldova and my mom from Turkmenistan. Yeah, um, which they... is now. Sorry? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, so Turkmenistan is bordering with Iran. Moldova is East Europe. And yeah. they both made Aliyah in the 70s and met yeah. in Israel. So... You know, the reality is like, you know, you could go to all these Arab nations and say, where are your Jews? You know, you're you're trying to say that uh, Israel is an apartheid state, but where were all the Jews that were living in your nation pre, pre-1950, pre-1948? Where are all the, they've all been expelled out now, um, by and large, you know, I, I would say 98, 99% of them have been. And so this idea that Israel is an apartheid state, it's just completely, it's, it yeah. is just a a pop culture slogan that's being said in in culture that has no basis in reality not only that um also just to add um as we have this operation in gaza the counterattack led by the israeli army arabs in israel live their normal life they can go to work they can they study they have scholarships from the government Nobody will harm them. I mean, some, mm-hmm. of course, you always have like militants, uh, people that will do individual acts. 
but then there are courts for that. There are there, there is police for that uh, to stop all these individuals to do mm-hmm. things. Um, but Arabs in Israel, as we have this conflict, they're living their life. They're yeah. living their life. They have their work. They have the jobs. A lot of them are pharmacists, doctors. This so is not, not an apartheid. Rate. They're not second-rate citizens, is what you're uh, saying. Again, as Chris mentioned, it's not all perfect, but it's not right. an apartheid state. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, things aren't perfect here in America either. No. You know. Yeah. But there's a goal for unity and a goal for peace. You know, and and that's ultimately what we're working towards. And even from what I observed when I was in Israel, that's what I saw as well. I wasn't seeing, you know, <laughs> even Jews and Arabs would walk by each other, and they weren't like spitting on each other and and like you said i'm sure there are instances of that racism is racism you're going to find it anywhere in the world contrary to what a lot of americans say um racism is racism and you're going to find it anywhere in the world that you go but yeah yeah and you'll find racism even among jews from like (laughs) you know from one group to the other (laughs) it's like it's not about uh um you know your heritage or about your uh, ancestors if you are an arab or a jew so it's something yeah. more deeper than that yeah so let's talk about um your own like how how do israelis and palestinians actually see each other like on just a i would say that the like taking the exception and setting that aside going how do the majority of israelis and palestinians see each other wow it's yeah. uh <laughs> it's a it's a complex question yeah Obviously, in Israel, you have different layers of society. You have different, uh, you know, traditions. There are more conservative people, more liberal people. Uh, as you have here in the States, the left and right see things differently. Um, but again, I think the majority in Israel, they have no hatred to Arabs. They want to live and let live. Like, just live your life. Let me live my life. All is good. We don't... We don't we have no dream like, oh, let's uh, kill those hours. No, it's not in our mind <laughs> at all. So you have a lot of initiatives led by different uh, individuals or organizations in Israel to do things together as Arabs and Israelis, together Arabs and Jews together in Israel. So for instance, I was leading uh, a worship event, a worship event that was uh, a worship event of uh, Hebrew and Arabic worship music and we had it actually during Rosh Hashanah one of the high holidays in Judaism we just celebrated together as Arabs and Jews who believe in God who believe in Yeshua and we celebrated it with no with no problem with no hatred Amazing. yeah and you can see that in all different uh ways like people lead all sort of activities in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem to um raise the 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 to, to support the idea of like, we can live together. We can, mm-hmm. we have no hatred between us. Let's put it aside, all this hatred, just let's have a discussion. Let's talk, let's do things for others together. Mm. Yeah, so obviously Hamas does not represent this, the Palestinian people, um, but I want people to understand, so maybe you can speak to this, like how did this current conflict start um and why was israel caught so off guard because of it like why did hamas succeed as much as they did and there are many questions that uh, will probably be answered after the whole thing will yeah. end um 
but as far as I know, Hamas was using a drone system uh, basically to destroy the site of the army. We have like different points around the fence uh, that circles Gaza uh, that actually see with different cameras uh, whatever happening uh, close to the fence. So they were using drones, throwing bombs uh, on these different cameras around the fence, destroying the ability of the army to see anything that happening around the fence, then using paratroopers crossing the fence above uh, above the, vo- the wall and the fence. Uh, when they landed there, they were obviously attacking the army base that are, that are, that are next to, to the fence while rockets are being launched towards Israel and the cities around Gaza and central Israel. And as they're doing so, and killing soldiers in the army bases, they bomb part of the, the wall and the fence so thousands of terrorists could enter Israel and run uh, into these villages and cities in Israel to do what they did at the end, uh, mm. which ended up in a huge massacre running through. Um, they ran into a, a party. It was not planned. This whole thing was not planned, but they ran into a party that was happening there around Gaza, killing hundreds of people, hundreds of people and kidnapping people, parading proudly with the bodies of Israelis and girls naked in Gaza, just proudly parading with their bodies as they found a treasure or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And going back to Israel as it relates to Gaza and Palestine, um, I've seen and maybe you both of you can speak to this i've seen that israel has actually tried to like almost like they felt like it almost seemed like they're like peace offerings they're like hey we'll we'll send in materials for you to like cement and other materials to help rebuild is this true like have they actually sent in aid into gaza chris you want to answer that i mean mean, yeah there's so much that they've sent in i mean it's it's crazy it's it's with how much aid and, and money has gone into Gaza, they should have been able to enormous. rebuild Gaza 20 times. Like Enormous re- amount. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, and it's not just Israeli money. It's international money too. Um, you know, and the reality is, is that the leaders of Hamas all live in uh, Qatar and, you know, these, these nations, they have million dollar homes. Wow. They run all of these operations like from, uh, you know, palaces essentially in the Middle East. There, there is no desire for. Um, I'm trying to figure the right the right way to say this. Gaza is used as a as a political pawn by the Arab nations to poke and prod at Israel to kind of create media scenarios that make Israel look bad. There, there is no genuine desire from Hamas or the leadership inside of Israel, or sorry, the inside of uh, Gaza, to take care of the Palestinian people. Hmm. to rebuild the economy to i mean they'll take like the pipes that are meant for like the water and the plumbing and they'll make they'll like make rocket launchers for them like i mean it's like they'll they'll they will do anything that they can to continue like waging this mini jihad they can in this location so and israel has done so much i mean israel you know they're getting ready to go into gaza uh they probably already even started the ground operation and they they notified the UN and uh, everyone in Gaza. I think it was 24 hours ago 
They'll tell them we are going into this radius right now. Okay, so if you are not Hamas, then you need to leave this radius. And they'll give 24, 48 hours. There's no military in the world that would do that. No. And people will say, well, where are they supposed to go? You know, they, they could go into Egypt. They could go anywhere but that section in Gaza where Israel is going to go. Help Elijah Fire continue to make an impact around the world. All donations go toward making Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. Visit ElijahFire.com slash give and become a partner today. And so, you know, there it's, it's not a perfect solution. There are going to be innocent people that are going to die now. I'm sure they already have. You there you cannot like change what's about to happen. Like yeah. this will happen and it's a tragedy and it's it's terribly unfortunate. I, I think at this point though, Israel has just been pushed so far where it's like we're we're just done. We're not living with this with yeah. this knife on our throat anymore. And I think long term it will end up being better for the Palestinian people too. Um it's going to be a rough transition, what happens now. But yeah. I think long term it's been rough. For the last 20 years you know i mean it's not right. it's not good now so it's like it just mm-hmm. it is what it is you know yeah well yeah. something that i've explained uh before is that it, i i i kind of painted painted this scenario i'm like imagine you live in new jersey in the united states and everyone agreed that you could be there and then all 49 states uh, other states decide they want you dead after they agreed to let you stay there and you're constantly under siege and there's constantly the threat of being under siege and then they attack you and you attack back and then everybody ridicules New Jersey for the way that they responded to the other 49 states wanting them dead. And so I think like that paints, if people could let that sink in, the level of tension, like even even if you were, like you're not going to respond perfectly every single time, like because of the the natural just tension of being in that state of just like all these other nations or in this case all these other states you know if you're talking about the analogy of new jersey and the other states want us dead they want us gone um you know i just think that if people could understand find ways to understand that conflict and what's going on there better i think that would really help you know yeah I think you. I think you're all up against a spiritual issue too. Um, of if I can, you know, just put that out there. I yeah. mean, there there is a hardness in the world's heart right now towards anything that's that's of God. So of course Israel gets put into this into the same thing, you know, and and that really shouldn't surprise us. I think it's why it's so important that believers wherever we are, we continue to stand proudly and boldly with Israel. Um, Israel is not perfect. It has its faults. There, there are criticisms that you can give to Israel for sure, a hundred percent. They are not perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't think anyone's trying to make that case. Um, and none of us are, you know. No nations are perfect. No wars are perfect. Like that's right. just that's just the reality of like how. Yeah, it's ugly. It's an it's, ugly. These thing. things are ugly. Yeah. 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 So, uh, Yaron, can you just talk a little bit about like what? I want people to understand like what's going on within the minds and hearts of, of Israelis right now. Um, is it, is it like, they're not warmongers. They're not people that are like, yeah, we just want to, this is our excuse now to wipe Palestine from the face of the earth and all of that. Uh, so why don't you speak to that a little bit? So again, just to make it clear and we'll repeat it a thousand times. It's not about the Palestinians. Mm-hmm. 
is the is just wanting to live normal life keep prosper keep growing creep uh, keep uh, um, developing things being we, we we raise the high-tech nation we have a lot of uh, high-tech companies and developing all sort of things that all all nations in the world using uh, we are not aiming at any such of a savage kind of things like just killing and wipe out other people that's not uh, the agenda uh, it's not a, the goals in the israeli agenda um but you can't live with this kind of uh, reality now we got to this point that the whole nation is like recruited and the whole nation is like doing things for the soldiers for the families from the south but this reality is a continuous state for many many years i remember in 2005 i went to one of the kibbutz uh one of the kibbutzim around gaza it's called karmia now it's totally evacuated nobody is in karmia today everyone is in the center of israel trying to find refuge i was there in 2005 it was the first time i heard tseva adom that's the name of the alarm that goes off in israel whenever there are rockets shooting at you, launch at you. I heard that first alarm on, in 2005 in Cormia, hmm. few kilometers from, few miles from Gaza. And, and it's already, it was already the reality of these, those uh, kibbutzim. And I was shocked. I was like, what? You talk, you're living your life with this, like uh, under wow. this thing. Yeah. Uh, so just that you remember, this is the reality for many, many years. This is not something new. This is something that we're fighting a, a, a very, um, I, I must say, like sa satanic, anti-Semitic, Nazi um, ideology. Yeah. That's, yeah. 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 And I think, too, like the, the sad thing for me is obviously people would people would say, oh, like you know, the Holocaust was horrible and, you know, and that obviously Jews were targeted during that, but now suddenly it's okay to support an anti-Jewish uh, terrorist organization. These are not freedom fighters. They are, t it's a terrorist organization. And um, to me, it's really sad, uh, but Yaron, like how, how do Israelis, I'm just curious, like how do Israelis react when they see the um the ridicule from other people in the world other other countries other news agencies ridiculing israel's reaction to a lot of these atrocities yeah so it's very i mean some so, i mean many newspapers actually um came with a statement supporting israel um totally um uh, recognizing what happened in october 7 uh, but sadly, there are still people who misunderstand uh, uh, that and, and they think that standing with Hamas uh, puts them in the group of, of, the, of the leftists. Yeah, put them as a, uh, how to say that? Um, like you, some people think that if they stand with Hamas, it labels them as people who fight for freedom. It labels, the, yeah. labels them as people who stand with the left. For instance, in UCLA, we had a group of people supporting Hamas. I was shocked. Yeah. I was completely shocked. Yeah. Well, that's that. That's largely thank uh, thanks to celebrities 
and ill-informed social media influencers and then left-leaning media um yeah and also illumination she said it's virtue signaling to support them as well because they're being told that hamas are 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 liberators hamas are freedom fighters and they're they just want representation and they want it's all these buzzwords that people use over here uh and, and it's just it's ignorance and it's and as a result incredibly hurtful and harmful not only to the israeli people but also just western civilization period well it's like supporting uh the taliban basically supporting not sending women to school not sending women to higher education systems not even not even letting women to drive a car or a bicycle i mean yeah that's that's wild man yeah so how long do you guys i guess i kind of want to do like a two-pronged kind of uh, question i guess um how long do you guys think this conflict is going to last and then also is israel's goal to ideally completely remove hamas from that area why don't you guys speak to that you want me to go 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 ahead (laughs) okay I don't, I don't think that the Gaza uh, conflict is going to be any less than three months. I think it very well could go six to nine months. Um, I think it's going to be very surgical. Um, I think the last that I saw, there was 200,000 troops that were lined up on the border of Gaza getting ready to go in. I mean, that's a, that's a huge force that's that huge. will, yeah. um, you know, and, and unfortunately fighting in Gaza is like fighting like what we did in Iraq and, it's it's a lot of guerrilla warfare in buildings, short alleyways. It's it's you know I mean, you don't know where mines are at, you don't know where the traps are. It's 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 not a great place. I mean that's one of the reasons why Israel bombs it so heavily before they go in is because once you start getting in and fighting, it's very very hard. Even for Israel, who is much more uh, capable militarily than Hamas is, it's you know it, it has a way of equalizing the fight in a way um, that is that's very difficult. And then I think it also depends on if, you know, if the issue with Hezbollah really uh, goes up, because I mean, yesterday Israel bombed uh, Damascus and Aleppo uh, airports so that no flights could, uh, no, no, no planes could be taken off on either one of the runways inside of Syria. Um, and this was in response to missiles that had flown into Israel from, uh, from Syria. Um you know, and so I think I think probably what's going to happen here is it's very rare for the support to be on the side of Israel the way it has been over the last week. Um, if you look at the last 20 years of this conflict, unfortunately, um, it's primarily been a media war and a, a propaganda war. And so it's been much easier to kind of make these slogany pop culture statements when there's smaller conflicts and, you know, people are really unsure how to see all this. But the what what happened last weekend was so brutal that it's kind of swayed international opinion towards Israel. And so I think Israel is going to take advantage of this very rare moment and try to get the the knife completely off their neck. And so that's going to mean they're going to completely root out Hamas. No, no question. I mean, they've made that statement. We are not this. This is going to there's not going to be a single member of Hamas left when we're done. And I believe that. I believe that that is exactly what is going to happen. Mm. Um, and I think that they're also going to do the same thing that Hezbollah. And and I, I can see that easily going out nine months to a year. Mm. Um, is it because Hezbollah is is more equipped than Hamas is, or 
Well, Hezbollah is definitely they're better, much better fighters. They have much more equipment. Um, you know, I was reading. I have friends in the military, the U.S. military. They were telling me that the Taliban is taking a lot of the weapons that we left in the Middle East. The U.S. did, which we left yeah. tons of weapons. You know, mm-hmm. and are now going through Syria with them to arm Hezbollah. And so, depending yeah. on you know how uh, how active all of this gets, I mean, it, it could. You know, you're really on like a tipping point right now. There's mm-hmm. there's so many ways that, that this could go. And I think one of the reasons why the U.S. military put two strike carrier groups um, right outside of Israel is to kind of just let the international nations know that like the Arab nations specifically, like if this gets real heavy, like we have two fleets of aircraft carriers right here and we're going to send that in. So I think that they're they're in some ways trying to limit like the kettle from boiling over. Completely. Kind of containing the situation. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and I, my question, you know, and I'm not sure what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen to the Palestinians who are not part of Hamas in Gaza at this point. I don't know what, what their future holds right now. Well, um, it's very important to, um, uh, to mention that the army sent, it, it throws like papers uh, into Gaza or into different neighborhoods that are going to bomb. And they're going again, they're going to bomb these areas because there are like operational centers of Hamas in this specific yeah. building, sometimes under a hospital, underneath a university, uh, different things. So they always make sure to tell the people who live there, you have this uh, time frame to evacuate the place, go south. So for, for these viewers of this uh, uh, podcast, people are being noticed whenever the army is bombing a place. They they have time frame to leave the place to go to the southern part of Gaza. They actually let hundreds of thousands of Palestinians to move to Egypt to go out of Gaza to Egypt to find shelter there while we are fighting Hamas. This is a very hum- human way of dealing with a terror group. Hmm. Yeah. So um. Why don't we, because we only have a little bit of time left. Um, why don't uh, you talk, Yaron, about your, like what you're doing, your, like the music that you're doing and um, it, you're really bridging a lot of, you're, you're making a lot of bridges just even through music uh, between Israelis, Arabs, all that stuff. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Share your heart. Well, the idea is to speak the language of the people uh, in order to resonate something with their heart, something with the the, the way they were brought up, uh, they were raised uh, through sounds, through language, through uh, poetic text. Uh, so their heart will be open to God. Actually, uh, one of the things that I do is to compose Persian music for the underground church in Iran. Wow. So I work together with Iranians uh, obviously, I was never in Iran because I can't travel to Iran, but I have different channels that I'm working in uh, in order to have musicians there producing music that I write in yeah. Iranian style. The idea is to uh, dress uh, the biblical text and worship songs with Persian dressing, Amazing. With Arabic dressing, <laughs> whatever, you name it, yeah. it's just to respect the cultures that we try to share the gospel with. That's the idea, is to, sh- to, re- to, sh- to share respect to them, to their culture, very old cultures, very rich cultures and beautiful ones. And to say, we don't want to change the culture, 
uh, we want you to know the truth about God. Mm. He loves you. And through Yeshua, you receive life and redemption. Uh, but we do it in your language, in your music style, with your kind of scales and instruments. That's the, that's the idea uh, generally. And yeah, so that's what I do in Persian music, in Iraqi and Arabic music, and, uh, and also in uh, sacred Jewish music. Uh, I compose uh, scripture songs as well. And we have a group called Mikedem, M-I-Q-E-D-E-M. Uh, we released three albums and it's all verses from the Bible. So if you want to learn uh, the Hebrew Bible or sing uh, in the Hebrew biblical language, then uh, make sure to go online, check our name, check our website or YouTube channel and listen to our three albums. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. good. And, and Chris, why don't you speak a little bit to... Uh, you were telling us backstage, Yaron is a lot more humble, but why don't you yeah. just, why don't you just give a little bit more context to the significance? Well, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the, the other things too, I'd like, I'd love for Yaron to just share is like how he came to know, uh, Yeshua. Yeah. Um, just if you, if we have a moment for that, but yeah. anyways, uh, yeah, Yaron is, you know, he's one of like a very small, small group of people that can still play a lot of these Semitic languages. I mean, he can play. He can play the Psalms the way that David played them um, on instruments that, you know, no longer even really exist. And so, so he's cool. preserving, you know, a whole segment of musical history. Um, he kind of embodies that and he, he plays through a lot of that. It's really amazing. He's also in UCLA, UCLA on a full ride doctorate program. Um, and it's a very, very, they only, they only give one full ride uh, every year. It's a very competitive program. And people from all over the world apply to it. And he is the one that got it this year. And so while that's amazing, um, I know it's also been very hard with him to be outside of Israel because this is, you know, he's a native born Israeli. So he, okay. the first time he's ever lived outside of Israel um, yeah. is during this. And so, yeah, maybe Ron, maybe you could share how you came to know Yeshua. Yeah. Well, in a nutshell, uh, so as an Israeli kid, I, w I never heard of Yeshua. Uh, it was far from our reality, you know, from our daily life as, uh, you know, Jews. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, most Israelis don't really, most Israelis don't really hear about Yeshua a lot or know a lot about Yeshua because I think, um, obviously, as part of the Jewish heritage and history, uh, due to different things that happened between Jews and Christians uh, while Israel was living only, like, these Jewish people was living in the diaspora, um, led to a lot of um, rejection towards Christian ideas or history or narrative, whatever. So we did, we did, I didn't grow up knowing a lot about Yeshua, but once I read uh, the New Testament, the Gospels, I was shocked. I was shocked that I was reading about a Jewish rabbi, about a Jewish uh, amazing human walking in Israel, 2,000 years ago, going to the temple, going to Jerusalem, going to the Sea of Galilee, going to all these places that I always visit and like to to spend my time in, uh, and basically teaching us uh, things about our heart, about the kingdom of God. I was just shocked that this is this is what people call Jesus, because I thought Jesus was belonged to the Catholic Church only, and. And I was amazed. I didn't know that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, not only a rabbi, a son of God, mm -hmm. you know, who uh, came in flesh 
to bear our sin and to bring us resurrection and redemption. Um, so it really touched my heart. God was doing amazing things in my heart, and I surrendered myself to him, uh, repented for my ways, and asked him to change my life. And mm. he changed. And I believe Yeshua brought me. Yeshua is the Hebrew name of Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, his original name, Yeshua, means also salvation, which uh, obviously um, um, expresses a lot of what he did mm -hmm. for us. And um, I think Yeshua brought me to know God to the fullest, to know the God that illustrated and told about in the Hebrew Bible. And that was an amazing journey. Uh, I had uh, a little revival uh, in my hometown in Kiryat Gat. Um, of, uh, I was leading a group of young believers, Israeli believers, that all came to faith in, uh, in their uh, late uh, high school period, like 16, 17 years old. And we just spent time together worshiping, reading the Bible, searching scriptures, getting to know Yeshua better mm -hmm. through the prophecies. Uh, and then I moved on to Jerusalem to uh, pursue higher degrees, uh, learning, studying music, uh, composing, and all of that with the idea of um, generating and projecting our faith in Yeshua through art. Like what you're hearing? Help us continue to make Elijah Fire and the Elijah Fire podcast possible. To get behind this ministry, visit ElijahFire.com slash give. Now, back to the show. Hmm. So I, I have a question. Um, when, uh, so obviously Jews are very familiar with what we, you know, Christians call the old Testament. Um, then having read the new Testament and going back to the old Testament, was it very revelatory? Like, were you like, it's all there. I see Jesus. I see it now. I see, I see Yeshua there now. I'm curious if that was a fun process for you to actually like, go back through. Yeah, obviously finding uh, Yeshua is something that. Uh, it's the most joyous moment. Um, obviously, it's not always easy because many things you don't really understand, but God is working on a different level in your soul and you just submit to him. You're just like, okay, I don't understand everything. Some things are very uh, con controversial or like it's hard for me to grasp, but I know that you love me and I just felt it right now. Your The power of forgiveness, the power of love. and and not only that, I think uh, the idea of sin and the need of sacrifice is something that uh, is very integral in the Jewish uh, practice. Um, uh, but we don't have a solution for that. Like the solution made by the Jewish rabbis is basically to read out uh, different chapters in the Torah, in the, um, how do you call that, the five books of Moses? Yeah, yeah, the Torah. Um, um, you read different parts that mention the sacrificial practice in the temple. And by reading it, you gain uh, forgiveness for your sin. Like God is taking it as an act of sacrifice. And then you got purified from your sin, hmm. which doesn't work uh, no. according to the Bible. I mean, there is nothing no, in the there's Bible. A, there's a blood requirement for, exactly. according to the law of Moses, there's a blood requirement. For yeah, and, yeah. And, and, getting to a uh, realization of Jesus taking upon himself the sin of the world, being crucified, um, being in the, in the grave for three days, 
and then re being resurrected for us, and not only for us, for all humanity. This is something that God promised to Israel to be a blessing to, to the whole family of the earth, to be a light to the world. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't do that. Basically, we just can't do it. We, ha we don't have the ability. To, we, we try our best to be the light, uh, a light to the world, but in this uh, uh, scale, we couldn't do that. And God brought a solution for everyone to, uh, to have an access to him, to have redemption, to have forgiveness through Yeshua. Mm, amazing. I love yeah. it. I love it, man. It's so great. Um, so, I mean, Chris and Yaron, I don't know if both of you can speak to this, but how, how should Christians respond to what's going on in Israel? Um, I know there's a lot of people that obviously are not part of the IDF. They can't, there, I know there's a lot of people that are like <clears throat> fighters and they want to go fight and you know, they can't, you know, so what, how should Christians respond to this? What are some ways that they could actually help with this? What's going on? You want to go your or you want me to? <laughs> um, yeah, maybe you want to repeat the question. Sorry. So, well, as, so, as, out. yeah. So, as Christians, like, how how can Christians respond to what's happening in Israel? I know there's a lot of people that want to help, but aren't sure. a part of the IDF, so they can't go fight, obviously, yeah. but they want to help in some way how should christians respond okay. how how can christians help what's yeah. going on in israel so there are different fronts uh, to cover uh, both in prayer and in action uh, as like supplying things so uh, first thing is to pray for the safety of uh, soldiers safety of soldiers that are uh, right now uh, in like entering Gaza or planning to enter Gaza, a lot of soldiers face very traumatizing things. They, the, the, the things they saw in the kibbutzim where all the murder happened and the amount of bodies they did to uh, evacuate from there is just, it's just traumatizing. It's, it's horrible scenes. So praying for their uh, mental health, <laughs> for their soul, for their spirit, for their families, that circle them to have the strength to have the supportive power they need um, obviously the army needs supplies so if you know organizations that give us direct supply to the army or to the idf do that go in and give a donation a financial support there are many many organizations in israel that support families from the south um, organizations like nativa Nativa, they, they host families from the south that evacuated their houses and they uh, they give them accommodations, they give them food supply, clothes, everything. Yeah. So financial support is very, very important. Yeah, yeah. so we have that on the screen right there, Nativa. It's N-E-T-I-V-A-H for anybody who's listening to this yeah. and not watching it. Um, and we'll put a link in the description as well. But Chris, there, I don't know if you can speak to well, that. As well, yeah, and Nativa's great because they're a direct action group. So, you know, those donations go into helping, um, you know, helping with families that were just or displaced from everything that just took place, but also to provide supplies to both of the fronts that are now opening up in Israel and they are going to need help with resupplies. I mean, there's already um, a massive shortage of things like Kevlar and nylon and ammunition and things that, you know, globally will need to start going in to kind of help Israel going on in this day. So money that goes to that group, they help, they do, that's exactly what they do. They do direct action 
aid and support to this conflict right now. So that's a really great organization to give to. Yeah. Um, I think just, I think as well, you know, I mean, if you, if you're active on social media, if you have influence, if you're someone with, you know, who has, who is able to be present in important places, I think that going forward, there is support for Israel in this hour right now. I think when the, the media starts seeing photos of what's going to happen in Gaza in six weeks and 12 weeks, that, that, there's going to be a lot of international pushback on that. There's going to be a lot of, of criticism level towards Israel. And so I think we need to yeah. kind of be prepared to stand for, for Israel. I mean, right now, the only people in the world, really, for the most part, that are standing with Israel are Christian, Christian interna- international Christians. And so, you know, that's, that is a role that I think God is giving us an honor to play right now, if that mm. makes sense. Like we yeah, are, yeah. I feel fortunate that we were able to stand in the gap during this time um in support of israel and support of the jewish people especially after 2000 years of church history that has been so essentially anti-semitic towards the jewish people yeah i think the bridges that we're building all of that the inquisitions i mean the so all that stuff i think is so so good right now um i think as well you know it's really important to pray for the innocent palestinians that are in gaza right now um pray that that god would also keep the innocent people safe and that he that a solution would open up for what needs to happen with them after this conflict is done, because they're essentially, they're essentially being used by the pawn in the, in the Palestinian nations and the Arab nations, because none of those nations, they all refuse to take them as refugees, because if they did that, then their pawn in Gaza would go away. Hmm. So even though it would be so much, I mean, and really, you know, 1.8 million people is not that much for the Arab nations. It's a nation of what, 450 million people. They're, it's not it's not out of the question to think that they would be willing to take this group of people they outright refuse to do it and so you know that puts the the innocent people in gaza in a very hard position because now they're they're stuck between israeli tanks hamas in the middle and arab brothers that refuse to acknowledge their existence and so as believers we we can pray for them as well and just yeah, pray that yeah. there's a solution that opens up for for their reality mm, awesome yeah, that's good, you guys. So, um, Yaron, if you're comfortable with it, I would actually love for you to just lead in a prayer, just to close us, yeah. lead in a prayer for Israel. And you don't even have to pray in English if you don't want to, whatever you're most comfortable with. <laughs> I'll do both. Okay. <laughs> well, Father God, we bring our hearts, our prayers in front of you, God. Mm-hmm. We thank you for your sovereignty, for God, with you have victory on our heart, God. Um, in the individual lives, Father God, you conquered our heart, you filled our heart with your spirit. And also as a collective, God, as a group, we lift uh, Israel in front of you, God, the um, citizens, the soldiers, the families, the people who lost uh, children, relatives, brothers, sisters, in terrible, terrible ways, Father God, we pray for their safetyness. We pray for their uh, healing, God. We we trust you, God, that uh, through Yeshua we have uh, healing. Through Yeshua we have the power to continue and 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 stand and continue with our life, even even uh, after these terrible um, things that happen around Gaza. We pray for them, Father God, for comfort. Uh, in this time of grief, in this time of mourning, 
God, we pray for the, uh, also for the Christian uh, communities around the world to show, Father God, their solidarity with Israel, yeah. solidarity with the Israeli people, solidarity with the uh, uh, Christian Arabs that are stuck in between of this conflict, Father God, and all these uh, innocent people also in the Palestinian territories that suffer from the ter terrible acts of Hamas. God, we pray even for our enemies, Father God, we pray that they will have a revelation, Father God, leaders in Hamas. We pray, Father God, for a, a dream, for a vision, Father God, uh, something to strike their heart, Father God, in a way that they will change their action immediately, Father God. We pray, we pray for the, um, the, the most um, hard thing to happen, Father God, to, to, to take to take place in during inside the Hamas organization to yeah. to see how the Hamas organization is being um, uh, break from within it uh, by your action God we pray that you uh, you will take this organization down God yeah we pray that in the name of Yeshua Father God and lead all the people that watch this podcast and hear it. Uh, to find ways of supporting, to find ways of bringing up the awareness of what's going on there. We pray, Father God, for people to have a clear understanding that they will not be under this cloud of propaganda yeah. uh, that brings lies and manipulate people's heart. Father God, we, we pray for your help, Father God, and for your mercy in this time of trouble. In the name of Yeshua. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, um, Yaron, how can how can people follow you? I really want people to uh, hear your music, follow you. Uh, so why don't you tell some people that way, some ways that they can listen to your music, follow you, all that good stuff. Yeah, so very active on YouTube and IG, Instagram, uh, Facebook. So in all these platforms, just write Yaron Cherniak, Y-A-R-O-N-C-A-G-R-N-I-A-K, and just try to follow and uh, listen to uh, the music that I upload and also Miketem, the other band that I mentioned. Um, we always constantly sharing content. Also nowadays, trying to share verses that brings comfort, that resonates with the time of grief, uh, but directing it to God and to, to find hope and faith in God in this time of trouble. Amazing. So also he did a beautiful song on Lamentations, actually. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. my gosh. It's so gorgeous. And it's all about I mean, it's Lamentations to like, when you know, just the the weeping and yeah. brokenness. Um, yeah. And that's it's, that's Mikadim or uh, the, the it's group? Just, yeah, it's a song I composed from from uh, uh, Lamentations to verse 19. And I just posted it um, last night. Um, and it got over uh, 25,000 views, I think, wow. in less than a day. So uh, people are really thirsty for songs, songs that are rooted in the Bible, uh, that express the grief, express mourning, uh, but also rooted in, 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 uh, in the shelter, in, in the fact that we have a shelter in God, you know? Mm. It's very important. So to have both... Uh, aware uh, content that brings up the awareness about the situation but also that generates faith and hope mm. amazing so all of the links guys are in the description for both the group that he's a part of but also his individual music that he's releasing as well so um 
peruse, listen to all that stuff, follow him. Uh, it's definitely worth your time. Yep. Um, and then Chris, obviously you're on Instagram, predominantly you and your wife's yeah. IG, correct? Yep. That's it. And Awesome. So guys, thank you so much. Yaron, thank you so much you for so much. for sharing your heart as an Israeli. Sure. Um, and I know you speak for the majority of Israelis mm -hmm. um, as well. And then Chris, obviously your expertise is uh, very vital as well. So guys, thank you so much, both of you. Thank you, thank you Jeff. Thank you yeah, guys. Absolutely. So everybody have a blessed Friday. Uh, have a great weekend. Um, again, links in the descriptions to ways that you can get involved. Pray. Uh, donate if you can, um, but Israel needs our support right now. Um, we love them as a nation. We believe in God's promises for that nation. Um, and so everybody, uh, tune in on Monday. We've got Christina Baker uh, back. I haven't sat down with her in a while, so I'm really looking forward to that. It's at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time, and also ElijahStreams.com slash donate. That's how you guys can donate, support this ministry, and support the wells uh, that we're digging across the world. So we love you guys, and we'll see you at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m. Eastern time on Monday with Christina Baker. Okay, bye. This has been Elijah Fire. Thanks for listening. For more episodes like this, you can check out the Elijah Fire podcast on ElijahFire.com, on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us live every weekday at 2 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube, Rumble, Twitch, and Facebook. Elijah Fire is presented by Elijah Streams and is part of Elijah List Ministries. Go to ElijahFire.com slash give for more info on how you can donate today.